0: I'm Marnie Hughes, and this is Missing on NewsNation. Each week, we focus on a missing person case from across the country, taking you behind the headlines. Every missing person matters, no matter their background or past, race or circumstances. They're missed by their family, their friends, their community, and sometimes by complete strangers. It's our mission to bring these cases to light with the hope of finding answers and sometimes offering closure. And maybe you can help us solve some of these mysteries too. This is Missing. June 4th, 2010, seven-year-old Kyron Horman left for school with his stepmom, Terry Horman, excited to show off his second grade science project on tree frogs at Skyline School in Northwest Portland. They went to school in his dad's truck that day. Terry didn't normally drive the truck, but she told police she'd needed to bring Kyron's science project home. Terry snapped a picture of Kyron with the project, posting it on Facebook that afternoon. But when it was time to pick Kyron up from the bus, she said he wasn't there.: Kyron is not seen getting off the bus when Terry walks down to the bus at about 3:30.: Kyron's family called the school, police and the FBI set up staging and search locations around the school, and at Kyron's dad, Kane and Terry's house. For nine days, police called the search a missing person's case, but on the 10th day, they changed the scope to a criminal investigation.: Would you? have to find Kyron before you would make an arrest? No. Here's what they knew about June 4th, that day Kyron went missing. Kyron went to school with Terry and his 18-month-old stepsister. Terry said after Kyron showed her his project, he went back to the classroom. But witnesses said they saw Terry and Kyron leaving the school that morning. She and he were seen out in front of the school by one of Kyron's friends and grandma and sister, and as well as his bus driver. And they were walking out the school down to the main road, which was where the truck was parked. Kyron's teacher had been told he had a doctor's appointment that day. So when he went missing from class, no one questioned his absence. Terry told police she drove around town, stopping at two grocery stores to get medicine for her infant daughter, who wasn't feeling well. Then she said she spent time driving around to settle her down. Police investigating the case found that her phone had pinged around Highway 30, an area known in Oregon as a road less traveled.
1: He was missing for six hours before they even knew he was missing because they thought he had a doctor's appointment, etc. So six hours is a long time. When a seven year old child is missing,
0: it's been 13 years with no suspects or persons of interest named or charged. But there have been many twists and turns in this case from the very beginning. During their investigation, police discovered that several months before Kyron vanished, Terry allegedly tried to hire a landscaper to kill her husband, Kane. When police heard that story, they notified Kane. Kane left his home with their little girl and filed for divorce. But Terry, in an interview with People magazine and ABC News seven years ago, said she was always an outsider. When the police started questioning questioning us, they took into account more what Kane and Desiree were saying as opposed to what I was saying. And I spent my days with him. Terry spoke privately with police. They told her she failed two polygraph tests. And although a judge and a lawyer for Terry have called her a suspect in court papers, she has never been named a suspect or a person of interest by police. I was willing to talk about anything. I want him home. The Multnomah County Sheriff's Office would not agree to an interview with News Nation. but last month ahead of the 13 year anniversary of Kyron's disappearance, they issued a statement saying Kyron's disappearance continues to have a profound impact on our community. The case remains open and active Investigators are using advances in software, digital forensics, and geospatial technology to support and advance their work. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a new photo last year showing what Kyron might look like today. Meanwhile, Chiron's biological mom, Desiree Young, is still searching for answers, especially from Terry, who was the last person to see Kyron before he vanished. She filed a civil suit against Terry 10 years ago, accusing her of kidnapping Kyron. She dropped the lawsuit over fears of compromising the police investigation, but she's fundraising with things like car washes in hopes of getting a task force and private investigator in place to file a new case. If we're not going to get it ready for court, we're just sitting here waiting for a magic moment that may or may not be in our future. But Desiree recounts to News Nation a moment she had just days after Kyron vanished, when she says she felt both the presence of God and of her son, Kyron. She said in a quiet moment outdoors, she felt the wind kick up and the warmth of Kyron's touch on her hand.
1: He told me, mama, I'm okay. There is a God and I'm with him and I'm happy. I'm okay and you need to be okay too and I said I can't be okay because I need answers and I don't want you to be with God I want you to be with me
0: now it's your opportunity to get involved During our after the show, we share the extended interviews and your questions, all in an effort to bring the missing home. How can you not feel for that mother and her pain? every parent would go to the end of the earth to find their child. And my heart breaks for what she is going through and for all of those who love this little boy. I want to welcome in uh, my colleague and journalist from Portland uh, who has been following this case, Dan Tilkin. He is an anchor with COIN TV. Uh, Dan, thank you again for being with us. Uh, You've been on this since the beginning. And as you and I talk about the case and the evidence, uh, we're getting a lot of questions from our viewers um, watching us on our social media platforms. And I want to start with a question from Aaron from Florida, he wants to know, and this is maybe the biggest overarching question, any new leads in the past one to two years in the search for Kyron, this sweet little boy who would now be 20 years old?
1: I wish there were, but I think the bottom line on this is no. Or if there are new leads, they haven't been revealed to us. Uh, Desiree, Kyron's mother, um, there was a book that came out in the last few years, and we were hoping that maybe there were some giant revelations in there. Um, there, there haven't been, and we've been waiting and waiting. There's been a lot of false alarms through the years. Um, and just the, the trail, as far as we know it, is pretty cold.
0: And that is another question that I got from a viewer named Diane. She is watching from Michigan. And she's asking, is this a cold case, or is it still an active investigation? How are authorities answering that question?
1: It's still an active investigation. They sent out a statement uh, in June, so June uh, 4th was the 13th anniversary, and they sent out a statement saying, is this still an active investigation? They say they still have an investigator uh, on it. Um, we know that they worked with the FBI. Whether they are working this case every day, once a month, every few months as leads come in, that is a question we don't know the answer to.
2: with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.
0: Let's go back to the day in June 13 years ago when Kyron was last seen. He was allegedly dropped off at the school. What do we know about that day and any evidence that authorities have publicly released about the timeline of events?
1: So we have the picture, what you have shown of him in front of his science project. The June 4th was a Friday, Um, a lot of parents coming and going. It was a very busy school, dropping their kids off with their science projects. Not, Not a typical day, you've got a lot more activity there. You have to remember this school sits by itself on top of a hill. Outside of Portland. This is not in the city. Um, it's in the same county, but it's very, very rural. And there's a, one road in and one road out. So you've got lots of cars going, people coming, and going, parents coming and going. And so you've got that added chaos, might be too strong a word going on. But uh, Terry brings him with the truck. They drop off his. Um, His science project, she takes a picture of him and then she leaves. Now, Desiree says that people saw him and her outside leaving, going the other way. Um, That is something that was kind of a mystery in the timeline for a very long time, only filled in by Desiree, as far as I know. And it's not until 3:30 in the afternoon when they go down to the bus stop which is also a very rural area they wait for Kyron to get off the bus he doesn't get off the bus and then Kane is like where's where's Kyron Terry is where's Kyron they call the school and the school said well, we marked him as absent today and that's when they called nine one one.
0: Right, and the peculiar part of this, and our viewers picked on up picked up on it immediately. Kathy from Pennsylvania says, "What about that doctor's appointment? Does it really exist? Did they follow that lead and find if, in fact, he did have a doctor's appointment that day?"
1: And unfortunately, you know, thirteen years have gone by, and I struggle to remember some of the details, and that's one of the details that I, I do struggle to remember. Um, there is. So they tracked her truck as she went to, I believe it's the Albertsons, and bought um, uh, medicine for their daughter. And they tracked her cell phone, pinged it, receipts, surveillance video. And there's a 45-minute window there that they can't account for where she was. And Desiree and Kane believe that's where Kyron disappeared. Um, Police have been very tight-lipped about that window.
0: Right. And you you oftentimes you think, Dan, like schools have surveillance video all over the place, right? They're monitoring things to keep people safe. Uh, Ramsey from Westland, Oregon, asks about security cameras at the school that day. She says there are cameras on every block, outside of schools, outside of businesses, taking video of everything. They're everywhere. Was there any footage ever reviewed from the school? And if so, how long and how many miles from the school did they look at possible surveillance?
1: Well, we believe they looked at surveillance video at the grocery stores that she went to um, in that that time frame where she says she's driving her daughter around because her daughter is sick trying to get her to comfort her to, to sleep. My memory says, and I could be wrong about this, that there were no surveillance cameras in that school. It's an older school. It's a kind of classic brick-looking building that was built decades ago. I I don't believe there were surveillance video uh, cameras in there. And remember, this is 2010, so uh, these... These phones that everybody has now, um, we didn't have them. They weren't ubiquitous and they weren't the quality. And so you don't have as much of that. Um, And again, it's a very rural area. Across the street is a church, there's farms down the street around there but not a place where you would usually find surveillance cameras. Right. And people didn't have Ring ring on their um, doorstep at the time.
0: No, we just didn't have the technology accessible. Boy, you wish it did, and that we weren't 13 years later asking where is Kyron, what happened to him. The one thing that continues to swirl around every person that watches this case is Terry's involvement. She has never been named a suspect. She claims she has not done anything wrong Uh, when was the last time she spoke publicly have you spoken to her um, through the years
1: so i'm the first reporter that actually got her one-on-one trying to interview her it was a very interesting dynamic. Desiree and Kane had been screaming from the mountaintops that she wasn't telling the truth and that she uh, she was hiding something and she was the suspect. Police wouldn't confirm that. Kane took as their daughter, moved out of the house. She was staying in the house, and every morning, because they we're staking out the house in this rural area, she would would leave. And so, after getting stonewalled, uh, we followed her to her attorney's office in downtown Portland, and uh, I confronted her. In the in a parking garage there and she refused to answer any of our questions she turned around and she made the long walk back to the elevator to get uh, go back to her lawyer's office years went by before she spoke uh, she never said anything in court she did speak the longest interview that I know she gave uh, was to dr. Phil in uh, 2016 and she admitted uh, failing the lie detector tests there which we had heard before and as far as I know last I had, I had known she lived Lives in California now and she's changed her name. So um, she's not she's not done an interview with a reporter who's followed the case closely.
0: But then the other twist, Dan, is this murder for hire plot with the gardener. Um, tell me more about this when we learned of it and then if anything came of it.
1: So that was one of the bombshells in this case of many, many bombshells. It's the whole truth is stranger than fiction scenario um, where you, you can't believe that this other um, factor has come into effect. So Rodolfo Sanchez is the name of the uh, the landscaper. He says, he told police, so after this all came out, he said, wait a second, I, I had this bizarre interaction with uh, Terry Horman. She asked me actually to to kill uh, Kane and wanted to pay me to do it. So the police wired him up, sent him back there and uh, under some pretense and tried to get her to, to say it again and she never said it again and she denies it ever happened and so they have never charged uh, Terry Horman with any crime
0: never charged with any crime and the mystery remains. You know, I said when you and I spoke on TV a little while ago that this case haunts people, right? To go a day not knowing where your child is, is one thing. 13 years later is quite another. How has this impacted that rural community and all of those around the Portland area that anytime you bring up Kyron's name, people have something to say, questions to ask?
1: You know, we are getting to the point where so much time has gone by that more and more people don't know who he is. I will not forget, I took my son a number of years ago to the big car show in Portland, looking at cars, and we were walking through, and it's, it's shoulder-to-shoulder people, and I, I look over to my, my side, and there is Kyron's father, Kane, and standing in front of a display of his missing son, all by himself. Nobody was talking to him, um, standing there, and it struck me that the man that we were all so wanting to interview at the time and couldn't talk to because of the investigation and, and kept things close to his vest is now standing 10 feet from me and nobody wants to talk to him. That is the That is the pain of what happens when time goes by and our society, as everybody knows, moves very, very quickly and people's memories are short and it's a tough situation. Mm.
0: Yet, all these years later, we have an age progression photo of what Kyron may look like now. Did that come from the Multnomah Sheriff's Department? Did the FBI release it? Where did that photo come from?
1: So they work with the um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children who have that technology, and they do this with a lot of cases, and they um, are able to, to, we think, do a pretty good idea of what they, they might look like. One of the problems in this case is you start looking at every seven-year-old boy with glasses, and suddenly everyone thinks that's Chiron because you only have that still image in some family videos, and out of context, in a different clothing, and so we are chasing our, our, uh, all those leads. Police are chasing all those leads. Um, it's you think you can you can identify somebody really easy until it actually becomes time for it to happen, and um, people are not great witnesses as we often find out.
0: Yeah, uh, it was a number of days before this went from a missing person to a criminal investigation after Kyron's disappearance. Have the local Law enforcement, the investigators taken hits and criticism for their handling of the case then and, and now, years later?
1: So this was a question early on and throughout. I had sources suggesting to me that the sheriff's office was not qualified for this. I tried chasing that story. I could never get anybody to go on the record to say that publicly. And then in a very interesting dynamic in all of this is that Kyron's stepfather, Tony, so Kyron's mother, Desiree, her husband, he is a police officer in Medford, where she he and Desiree live, four hours south of Portland. He's a detective. And to my knowledge, he has never questioned the qualifications or the thoroughness of the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office investigating this. So that, I think, is the bottom line here. If he were questioning things publicly, and he certainly had plenty of time to do it, I think that would that would be a situation to, to to look at. But he has never done that, and I think that is the bottom line.
0: And what we're seeing on our screen now, Dan, is some of the searches. I have another question from Terry Reynolds, who is watching from Hillsboro, and they want to know if dogs had searched the property, what other resources they used to scan the area. Um, thinking back to, to that time, how many searches Searches and how extensively did they look around the area for Chiron?
1: So, this is the most extensive search in Oregon history. There were thousands, thousands of people looking. Um, search and rescue crews from all over the region, um, from all over Oregon, all over the state of Washington. I believe other states too came in. They had many dogs and they did methodical grid patterns people opened their doors to their houses their basements their barns um, all around the school are hay fields and at the time the hay was two and a half three feet tall and there were barns and behind that are tall dug firs and we all thought they'll find him in a barn they'll find him hiding in in the the, in the, in the hay And that didn't happen. And then day after day after day, they checked the quarries. They just went out and out and out and out. Then they ended up checking uh, marinas. They ended up checking sunken tires at marinas. Because the Columbia River, which carries a tremendous amount of water, very strong current, very wide river with lots of channels, is not that far, um, several miles from, um, in a city it would be far, but in the country it's not far. And so if somebody did something with Chiron, it's not it's conceivable that they could quickly put him in the river. um, And then that current could take him somewhere. They searched for pre-dug holes. They searched and searched and searched and searched and searched and and have continued to search throughout the years.
0: Right, and we will continue to search until they find anything. Uh, My final question for you is, you know, after all of these years, we heard from Desiree, and she feels as though there was a presence of Kyron, even in the days after he disappeared. Um, Is she holding out hope that he is still alive? How much and how out in the open is Desiree? Desiree and Terry now in trying to keep the case in the public spotlight.
1: Well, I'll talk about Terry first. Um, Terry. Um <sighs> There's somebody on Facebook, on one of the Kyron Horman Facebook pages, claiming to be Terry, who is posting quite recently um, saying she didn't do it. We have not been able to verify if that is her. And that's one of the hard things about this this story is social media. Anybody can be anyone. But she's not given an interview, as far as I know, for quite a long time. Um, Desiree... I hate to speak for her, but I do believe she holds out hope that Kyron is still alive. I know that every time I've interviewed her, she ends it with saying, Kyron, we haven't given up. We're still looking for you, and I love you. So I believe, I, mean, I think that's how she probably still feels.
0: I think any mother would. And you mentioned you had that interaction with Cain. Did you speak to him that day or since?
1: I just said hi to him that day and kind of gave a wave and a nod. Um, I have spoken to him um, recently um, and through the years we do. And the, the anniversary, unfortunately, um, comes around and, and we, we do interview them and we talk to them. And each year it's just, I can't imagine the frustration uh, and just utter sense of desperation they must feel. Yeah. I, I can't I have two kids myself and I can't imagine.
0: It's the unknown Dan and as, as we cover these stories, especially as parents you think of your own child and what you would do in this situation and as I said a moment ago you're relentless you go to the end of the earth until you have answers until you bring them home safely I'm, I'm very appreciative that you're able to join us that we can continue to shine a light on this case 13 years after Kyron was last seen. Uh, I hope the next time we talk uh, we have more answers but thank you for your insight. Thank you for your reporting. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Every missing person matters, no matter their background or past, race or circumstances. It's our mission to bring these cases to light. If you have a case you think we should be looking into, submit it to newsnationnow.com missing. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Marnie Hughes. This is Missing.